Welcome everyone, you're listening to a very important episode of Punchline, the show that brings you poetry and perspective for the young and the young at heart. I'm your host, Hannah Flores the Poet. Now, let's get started. Today is Friday, June 5th, 2020, and today on Punchline, I'm going to be real. This will be a difficult conversation to have, but it needs to happen. And it needs to happen now. The wounds in our society are raw and it is hurting and it needs to heal. So cut the intro music and the usual. This episode is reserved space for something that has never had space to really voice the concern at hand. I turn on the news after taking a week-long hiatus from watching it. What do I see? American unrest, Canadian unrest, global unrest, shockwaves were sent all over the globe, the internet, with pockets of protests sprouting up everywhere simultaneously. These large public demonstrations in the USA were sparked by the tragic passing of George Floyd. According to a Global News article published on this past Monday, June 1st, stated that on May 25th, Floyd visited Cup Foods grocery store in Minneapolis to buy a pack of cigarettes. A store employee believed that the bill he used to be counterfeit and reported it to the police. The article states that Officer Chauvin arrived on the scene shortly after to help officers in getting Floyd into the police cruiser. The report said Chauvin pulled Floyd out of the vehicle, causing him to fall on the ground. He laid on the ground, quote, face down and still handcuffed, end quote. That's when onlookers began to record cell phone videos. They went viral. The prosecutor's report indicates Chauvin held his knee on Floyd's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds, about half the length of this episode. Floyd was taken to a hospital by ambulance where he died soon after. Police have said that Floyd did not have a weapon, nor were any weapons involved in the incident. A separate autopsy commissioned for Floyd's family found that he died of asphyxiation due to neck and back compression, the family's attorney said on Monday. However, the article explains that this autopsy differs from the official one where the official autopsy said it found nothing, quote, to support a diagnosis of traumatic asphyxia or strangulation, end quote. The family's autopsy found no evidence of heart disease and concluded that he had been healthy. So, why do you think George Floyd's family wanted to have a private autopsy investigation conducted in addition to the official one? And why are two autopsies of the same person suggesting completely different results? Floyd was a father, and his youngest child is six years old. He moved to Minnesota for a better life and for work, according to his family. Floyd works security at a restaurant, but like millions of Americans, he was out of work since the coronavirus pandemic shut down much of the state's service industry. The restaurant's owner told local media that he was a close friend to many of his co-workers. A friend that was always available to work, always helps, always helped with cleaning up. We loved him a lot, said the owner of Conga Latin Bistro. 
Why do media outlets refrain from communicating a more holistic portfolio of victims subject in their news coverage? A New York Times article published on May 31st says video footage of American officers were shown using batons, tear gas, and rubber bullets on peaceful protests and demonstrations. CNN articles released this past weekend describe how third-party groups, including off-duty and undercover officers, have infiltrated some peaceful protests in order to instigate violence, chaos, and looting, directing the crowds away from their peaceful intentions. Why is this happening? How are these individuals able to infiltrate these peaceful missions and go undetected before it is too late? How can we identify them in the crowds and online to ensure the safety of the true protesters? Thousands of people took part in a rally downtown on Saturday, May 30th to protest racism around the world and to demand answers in the death of 29-year-old Toronto resident Regis Korczynski Paquet that occurred on May 27th. According to a statement from her family, she was an Afro-Indigenous woman facing mental health concerns, leading her mother to call the police for appropriate support. This resulted in her tragic death under unclear circumstances. Her family has called into question the role that parties on scene played in her passing, as the cause was due to a fall from her balcony 24 stories above the ground. She was described as an active member of her church, a talented gymnast, and proud of her Ukrainian and Nova Scotian roots. A CBC article published the same day of the protest details how last Friday, Toronto Police Chief Mark Saunders urged for the public to be calm, warning of an information, quote, vacuum faced by police that risk being filled by, quote, opportunists. Police estimated the crowds to be between three and a half to 4,000 people and said that there was no violence. In their statement, Toronto police also expressed, quote, We are aware that this narrative speculating on the events leading to Ms. Regis Korczynski Paquette's death is circulating on mainstream and social media, and the TPA supports a full and transparent SIU investigation, end quote. Advocating for transparency in investigations, journalism, and the media is essential and must be called for in order to produce honest results. The public needs their questions answered to allow for the healing, grieving, and closure processes to continue. This all stems from deeply layered and textured issues where it requires an intersectional lens to approach and analyze what happened here. That is why transparency is necessary. Everyone has heard the saying, honesty is the best policy. What does this mean to you? How should that ideology be applied here and to any other cases that present themselves? How can you ensure that you participate in and contribute to transparency in your life? Also, why is transparency something that we have to ask for? In light of transparency, I hope that my poem, Spring Cleaning, will give you some clarity. As I sweep the floors of this house, this body, you sweep things under the rugs, leaving the pages of our stories to fade into dust, turning our skins into doormats. 
You let all the house plants wilt, depriving this house of the extra oxygen that it needs. You've cleaned out the bookshelves and the pantry, covered all of the furniture, because you didn't want me to know how to know, how to cook, how to live and not just survive. You did not want me to have heirlooms. You emptied this house so it wouldn't feel like a home, my home, so it wouldn't feel inviting anymore. Cleansing this house to the point where it seems that it was always vacant. Podcast formatting says that I should be doing my mid-roll right about now at the halfway point in the show, but my usual spiel doesn't fit with the tone of this episode. All I will say is thank you. Punchline is able to share important and relevant poetry and perspectives because of listeners like you. My Instagram at Hannah Flores the Poet and the show's new Instagram page at Punchline Podcast has resources related to issues discussed in this episode and more. Now, back to the program. As I said, these issues have stemmed from deeper realities and histories. Let's dive into one specific case. I said this episode was going to be real, so here we go. I found an article a few weeks ago published by BBC on April 3rd of this year. The first sentence read as follows. Two French doctors have been accused of racism after a TV debate in which one suggested trials in Africa to see if a tuberculosis vaccine would prove effective against coronavirus. The interview went viral instantly and lit up the internet. This was just two weeks ago. But it is poking and prodding at the long 200 years of unethical, inhumane, and gross history of medical experimentation on people of the African diaspora, and the additional 200 years on top of that as well. The racial homogeneity of Western medical research institutes lies at the very heart of the problem. Equal representation is required, and someday I hope to contribute to that when I am wearing my lab coat and scrubs and saving patients' lives. How does this feed into the issues of the protests that we're seeing now? It is all systemic, transcendent, institutionalized. It comes in full circle. It is the cause for iatrophobia within the black community, the fear of going to the doctor, and of the healthcare system itself. The black community has been deprived of knowledge, opportunity, and resources for centuries. And human beings are not to be identified as guinea pigs for, quote, risky procedures. Why is a specific identifiable group being suggested in all instances to make a literal sacrifice of their rights, health, and safety? Why is there a group being targeted and suggested in the first place? Where else are we seeing this happen, and how can we address it? A great resource is a book that I am currently reading, the award-winning Medical Apartheid by Harriet A. Washington, who is a fellow at Harvard Medical School and Harvard School of Public Health. The book is the first full history of Black America's shocking mistreatment as experimental subjects at the hands of the medical establishment. I would highly recommend it, But the content is very, very heavy, so be cautious and accepting when you pick up this gem. While it is important for you to have conversations, these events invite us for some introspection to check and challenge ourselves and each other. 
Who are the brands that you give your money to? Who are the people that you surround yourself with? Who are the celebrities, influencers, and media outlets that you support? Is your support of the Black community performative for your own gain or productive for systemic change? These are difficult questions, but you need to ask them. I feel blessed to be in a position where I feel safer than others in this world, given where I live and the incredible people that I have in my life. But as a young, mixed-race woman who identifies with the Black community, I am still scared and exhausted. Many are scared, many are exhausted, many of us are crying. Although none of you, my faithful listeners, have ever seen me cry. But just a few weeks ago, I was in tears, sobbing. It was a good, messy cry, but I'm not ashamed to admit it. I needed it. My mom and I had long, important conversations that I think helped us both a lot. Expressing your emotions is healthy and not a sign of weakness. In situations like these, we need to be open about how we're feeling and check in with each other. We need to have these conversations. My heart goes out to everyone listening and not listening out there. To everyone who's confused, grieving, angry, or overwhelmed, or displaced from their happiness. You are not alone. There are inclusive resources out there to help you, whether you identify as Black or not. While activism is important, do not feel obligated to do one specific thing if you feel that you are not educated enough on a certain subject. There are many lanes to this highway of activism. There's artivism, there's protesting, there's educating yourself and educating those around you. There's so many different channels to this, so don't feel that you have to be boxed in or pressured to do one certain thing in order to help the collective. Now, racism is alive and well everywhere, and we must fight for human rights, justice, and transparency across all platforms in whatever ways we have access to. The newspapers and media make their money off of stories that are current, but when it comes to these issues of anti-black racism and any sort of injustice, the stories cannot be treated as episodic and fall silent until the next wave of problems. The passion must endure in order to enable systemic transformation. When this episode is over, you need to carry on these conversations with your community and welcome them into your homes, continue to ask questions and analyze ethics and morals of different events in the news and in your own experiences and actions. This was a very important episode of Punchline with Hannah Flores the Poet. My Instagram at Punchline Podcast and at Hannah Flores the Poet have resources available for you to explore and some appreciation for inclusive art forms, beauty, and voices. All I ask is that you share this episode, its message and integrity with those around you. Thanks for tuning in this week. Some of my grandmother's best advice that she gave me when I was younger was to always listen, and she couldn't be more right. As taking the initiative to educate yourself by listening to someone else is a crucial step in sparking systemic change. But it is just a first small step. So I hope you take something away from all of this. And I hope you stay woke and stay well. <laughs>